Greetings ladies and metagents and welcome to this narration of the web novel Why Humans Avoid War, written by Space Paladin 15 and taken from Reddit. I hope you enjoyed the story. Chapter 1 Humans were supposed to be cowards. The Galactic Federation Species Registry had them listed as a 2 of 16 on the Aggression Index. How interactions with the Terran Union up until this point supported those conclusions. They had not fought any wars amongst themselves in centuries, and had formed a unified world government prior to achieving FTL travel. They had responded with eagerness rather than hostility to first contact, unlike many species. Earth had resolved every dispute through diplomacy and compromise since it became an official member of the Federation. For example, a few years ago, the expansionist Zanak claimed the Terran mining colony as their territory. The Federation braced itself for a minor conflict, as they expected the humans to defend their outpost. But the humans simply shrugged and agreed to hand off the pallet for the small yearly fee. Rather than going to war, the Terrans somehow ended up as the prominent trading partners of the Zanak. There was also an incident where the paranoid Hoda'al arrested Terran ambassadors on charges of being spies. Imprisoning diplomats with zero evidence was a clear provocation to war. But the humans did nothing. They didn't even raid the facility where the representatives were being held. They simply opened back-channel negotiations with the Hoda'al and arranged a prisoner exchange, swapping a few smugglers for their people. Thoughts on the humans vary depending on who you asked. Some in the Federation found their pacifism commendable and appreciated their even-tempted statesmanship. Others thought that it was weakness that led them to avoid war. I was in the latter camp. The only reason not to respond to a blatant insults with aggression was that it didn't have the wits or the strength for it. When the Devourers came, the three most militaristic species in the galaxy, as per the Aggression Index, banded together to stand against their approach. We didn't know much about them, but we called them the Devourers since their sole mission was to drain stars of their energy. I can't tell you why they would do such a thing. Whatever the reasons, they would take one system by force, suck it dry, and move on to the next. Our fleet, the finest the Federation had to offer, suffered heavy losses when we clashed with the enemy destroyers. We fought as hard as we could, and it didn't matter. Our weapons hardly seemed to scratch their ships. It was a tough decision, but I ordered what was left of the fleet to retreat. As much as we needed to stop them, we would lose the entire armada if we stuck around any longer. I sent out a distress signal relaying our grim situation and pleading for reinforcements. There were other species, with lesser but still potent militaries within the Federation. But my request was returned with silence. Not a single one of those cowards volunteered to help. Hearing of our defeat, I suppose they decided to flee and fend for themselves. I thought we were on our own until we detected human ships jumping to our position. How ironic. The only ones that came to our aid were the galactic pushovers. There were only five of them, according to our senses, which was not nearly enough to mount a fight. 
a pathetic showing, but it was more than zero ships that had been sent by other Federation powers. Sir, the Terrans are hating us. What do they think they're going to do? Talk the enemy to death? First Officer Blizz equipped. I heard a few snickers from my crew, but quickly shushed them. We need all the help we can get. Non-screen. The dark-haired human blinked onto the viewscreen. Federation vessel, this is Commander Mikhail Rykov of the Terran Union. We are here to assist in any way possible. I bowed my head graciously. Thank you for coming, Commander Rykov. I am General Kylon. Please join our formation and help cover our retreat. Retreat? The human commander blinked a few times, looking fused. Our intentions are to engage and terminate the enemy. With five ships. All due respect, the devourers number in the thousands, and they crushed our fleet of equal magnitude. I wouldn't expect a peaceful species like yours to understand warfare. But it's in your interest to follow our lead, I said. Commander Rykov seemed even more confused. You think humans are a peaceful species? What the hell? Why do you think that? Well, um, you never fight anyone. You resolve everything with talk. Humans are the lowest rated species on the aggression index, I replied. I see. And the Federation has misjudged us there. Do you know why we avoid war, General? Because you don't think you can win. Fear? The human laughed heartily. <laughs> no, it's because we know what we are, what we are capable of, and nobody deserves that quite yet. The idea of Terrans making ominous threats would have been a joke to me before now, but something in Rykov's tone told me that he believed what he was saying with conviction. This was a clear case of delusion stemming from lack of experience with interstellar warfare. The devourers would make fools of the Earthlings and punish them for their overconfidence. However, if the commander really wanted to send his men to the slaughter, I would not stop him. If you insist on fighting, I certainly won't stand in your way. But know that you are on your own. We're getting out of here. What is your plan? I asked. We brought a nanite bomb we developed. We've never actually used one before, since in about 5% of the simulations, they don't stop with localized entities and consume all matter in the universe. Commander Rykov said this way too casually for my liking, but we programmed them to self-destruct after a few seconds, which will probably work. Ensign Carter fired at the enemy in five seconds. My eyes widened in a lob. Wait, hold up. You, you just said you could destroy everything. The Terran flagship fired a missile before I could get in another word to stop them. At first, I thought that they had missed their mark. The projectile sailed through the Devourer fleet, not connecting with a single ship. Then, it detonated at the rear of the formation, and all hell broke loose. Space itself seemed to shudder as an explosion tore through anything in the vicinity. The force was so powerful that our sensors could only provide error messages as measurements, at least a third of the Devour fleet was instantly vaporized, as an improbable amount of energy and he turned them to metal soup. There was no way any occupants of those ships lived through that. The enemy vessels further out from Ground Zero survived the initial blast, though many of them sustained heavy damage, but an invisible force seemed to be slowly dissecting each of them. I could only watch in disbelief as the mighty cruisers disintegrated, Bit by bit. 
I suppose the bomb had thrown out a swarm of nanobots, which had attacked the ship's structure on a molecular level. The devourers hardly knew what hit them. By the time they thought to return fire, there was nothing left to return fire with. Their arsenal evaporated in a matter of seconds, and undoubtedly their personnel suffered the same fate. Where there had once been an unstoppable army, now only stood empty space. The humans had unleashed a wave of destruction that was unrivaled by anything I'd ever seen in my military career with a single missile. Horror shot through my veins at the thought that they might one day turn this monstrous weapons on the Federation. There was no way to defend oneself against such diabolical creations. The aggression index needed an update. The kind of species that would invent weapons like this was no two. Glancing around at my crew, I saw stunned and aghast reactions that mirrored my own. If they ever became hostile, the human represented a threat of the highest level. They could more than likely wipe out the entire galaxy without breaking a sweat. Now that that's taken care of, uh, you should have just invited us to the party to start with, Commander Rykov grinned. Tell you what, General, next time we meet, you owe us a beer. Now frowned. The humans could ask for much more than a drink if they wanted to. Yeah, I think we can do that. Commander Rykov terminated the call, and I watched as the Terran ships warped back into hyperspace. I was still trying to wrap my mind around the whole thing, and I wondered how I was going to put this into words for a combat report. The Federation had no idea who the Terrans truly were, but I was going to make sure they did. And as I played the events of the day over in my mind, it clicked. I finally understood why such a powerful species would not show its hand. The humans avoid war because it would be too easy for them to win. End of chapter. Chapter 2. Ula point of view. The Federation Senate was expecting the worst when the messenger arrived. As per galactic customs, the faster ship was sent ahead of the fleet to provide a first-hand account of the battle to the ambassadors. The terrified look on the young Jatari ensign's face as he entered the Senate chamber seemed to confirm everyone's fears. I remembered the transmission that we had received just a few hours ago detailing the grim predicament of those who had confronted the devourers. The numbers of confirmed losses had already been hefty, and without any Federation members sending it back up, we could be looking as much as a 90% casualty rate. As Speaker, I tried to persuade the mid-tier aggression species to offer assistance, but they all flatly refused. If I had the power to force them to go, I would have. We all knew about the trail of destruction the devourers left in their wake, but we had no choice but to stop them. They would push us to the brink of extinction if we allowed them to plow through our galaxy. There were a few odd points to the messenger's behavior, however. As he walked up to the podium, he locked eyes with the Terran ambassador, Nicky Johnson, and swallowed nervously. I noticed that his hands were shaking. The Jutari were a proud, honor-driven race who had seen the horrors of wartime and time again. Never before I had seen one return home looking like they'd seen a ghost. And why would his fixation be of the peaceful humans of all races? Ah, uh, hello, Senators. Uh, I am Ensign Tellus. 
The Herald's gaze had not left Ambassador Johnson. The devourers have been defeated. Not a single one of the ships survived. Surprised murmurs spread throughout the assemblage. I was puzzled as well. The earlier correspondence had painted a hopeless picture for our men. If there had really been such a drastic turn of events, we needed to know how it happened. Whatever tactics the fleet had employed could be passed into other commanders for future encounters. A quick glance across the room revealed most of the representatives in a state of confusion, but the Terran ambassador was smirking, a predatory glint in her eyes. There was something about her expression that unsettled me in my subconscious. I leapt to my hooves, keen on restoring order. Silence! How is this possible? Please explain. Well, uh, Madam Speaker, it was the humans. They only sent a few ships to our aid, but, um, they, they, they built something awful. The ensign's voice had dropped to hardly more than a whisper. It was like they harnessed a, a su supernova. Never in my life have I seen such destruction. Utter chaos erupted as shocked exclamations rose to a crescendo, and all heads turned towards Ambassador Johnson. I wasn't sure I believed this account of the battle. The humans, possessing some terrible weapon capable of destroying the devourers, it was common knowledge that they avoided war at all costs. Zanuck Ambassador's Kazel laughed and raised a talent to speak. <laughs> Respectfully, the humans are not a fighting species. Savvy, cunning, greedy. They are all of these things, but uh, if they had weapons that could wipe out the devourers, they'd be more than talkers and diplomats. They'd rule the galaxy by now. The Zanuck were in the upper echelons of aggressive species but also were humanity's primary trading partner. The Terran Union had won them over with the willingness to sell anything for a price, and despite differing with philosophies on violence, the two powers had become close allies. You're wrong. I, I saw it with my own eyes, Nensen Tellus replied. The truth of humanity is that they are killers. They are dangerous. The General thinks that we should seek their friendship. But I'm not sure I agree. I don't trust them. I turned my gaze to Ambassador Johnson. We should hear the Terran representative's answer. What do you have to say? Is this true? Ambassador Johnson sighed warily. Ah, yes, it's true. Earth has many last resort weapons stashed away. We are very good at warfare, but uh, we try to find a different way. Why did you present us with such a false image of your species? I demanded. We speak of peace, and yet you've been hiding away the strongest weapons in the galaxy. We never wish to use them, she said. Your aggression index. The high aggression species are often terrible and seek to conquer. If the Federation had looked into our history, you would have seen that we were once like that. We lost millions of lives and wars between our factions, and we grew tired of all that bloodlust. Humanity has tried to be better. Our destructive, impulsive nature is still there, but we buried it deep. You see, we're the only aggressive species to have a strong sense of empathy as well. We grapple with the duality constantly. We control ourselves with rules, and for the most part, we choose good. But we know the depths of depravity that exist. We knew that one day, 
someone truly evil would come along, and we would have to be worse. I digested her words, my mind still reading. A war with one's own species that had millions of casualties. Even the worst conflicts in the Jatari's early history numbered around 200,000 dead. And they were 15 of 16 on the aggression scale. The bloodiest war we had previously known of didn't hold a candle to the human's past. A species with that much propensity for violence should have killed itself off. There was no way that they should be able to form a functioning society, let alone to think that they were acting as a galactic peacemakers. It was hard to reconcile my experience with civilized, smooth-tongued human diplomats with the vile history Ambassador Johnson had described. No matter how much the humans claimed to be able to control their savagery, we could not trust them. A species with such a drive to violence could easily stab you in the back in a moment of anger and think nothing of it. Honestly, if I wasn't afraid of retaliation, I would have raised a motion to oust the Terran Union from the Federation then and there. But, even if it was playing with fire, it was probably better to have them on our side than to have them turn their artillery on us. We would have to monitor them much more closely, though. I forced a neutral expression. You did save us from the enemy that we could not beat on our own. We owe you a great debt. It'll take some time for the Federation to fully consider what you have just told us, but we thank you for ending the war. Ambassador Johnson's eyes harden. The war is not over, Speaker. We defeated one fleet, but the Navarros will send more if they are not eliminated, and they only would come back stronger. Humanity does not expect your blessing, but we do ask for your forgiveness for um, what we are about to do. What, uh, what are you about to do? I asked cautiously. We are going to strike their home world with antimatter bombs. No survivors. It's a permanent solution. It may not be pretty, but we don't see any other options to put an end to the terror that they subject the rest of the cluster to, she replied. Even the most aggressive species looked appalled at the suggestion. I noticed the ambassadors in closest proximity to the human edging away, as though they were afraid that she might bite. I shook my head fervently. That is genocide. The Federation cannot accept the eradication of an entire species. Please, let us try and negotiate a truce. We must exhaust peaceful avenues before even considering an attack like this. You can't reason with someone who only wants to destroy you. Kill or be killed. Ambassador Johnson rose from a seat, collecting her belongings. How many innocent species have already perished by their hands? As far as we are concerned, it's better them... Than us. The Terran representative exited the building, waving a farewell to Ambassador Kaisel as she's departed. I could not fathom how any sentient could be so calm and detached at the prospect of glassing a planet, even one of a parasitic race like the Devourers. I wondered if we should at least make some sort of attempt to stand in the human's way. It was unlikely that we could stop them. At least we could say we tried. Things were simpler when we had thought that they were peaceful. A part of me wished that they would lie could have lasted just a bit longer. I missed our pacifist friends already. End of chapter. Chapter 3. Kylon Point of View. I had feared that the humans might attack as soon as our ships entered the Sol system. But the fact that they were still here 
was a good sign. The Federation Senate had narrowly voted to confront the Terrans, with Speaker Ula being one of the most ardent supporters of the motion. Even with a political pull, many representatives were on the fence about taking action. The fate that had befallen the devourers could easily be ours as well if we provoked the humans. Honestly, I think if it were their own species being summoned to action, the Senate would not have passed the proposal. But as always, they just assumed that the Jadari, the Zanek, and the Hodal would do the dirty work, while they stood by and watched from the safety of their officers. I was less than thrilled about leading this mission. After all, we were risking Federation lives to protect the very people that had sought to destroy us. While the Terran solution was extreme, I could at least understand where they were coming from. But it would be dishonorable to refuse a direct order. The last thing I wanted was to be branded as a traitor and a coward. Besides, if I commanded the fleet, I would at least be level-headed enough not to charge into battle against a superior army. I wasn't sure my cohorts, who had not witnessed human weaponry in action firsthand, would be so cautious. Especially given that most Jatari officers view diplomacy as an admission of weakness. First Officer Blaise glanced up from his computer as we passed for the first of the outer planets. Sir? We're almost within missile range of Earth. Should we ready our weapons? Our orders are to stop them, not to attack them. If we get into a direct fight, we are doomed, I replied. Let us hope that the humans still like talking. Hail Terran Command! Blaze opened his mouth to argue, then thought better of it. He silently input a few commands into his terminal, muttering under his breath. The few moments that the call went unanswered were nerve-wracking. I feared that the humans would simply ignore us. Relief washed over me as a familiar face blinked into the view screen. Commander Rykov did not look well. His black hair was disheveled, his uniform was wrinkled, and dark circles had taken up residence under his eyes. This was a far cry from the radiant and confident man who had come to our rescue yesterday. It seemed that he should be in resting rather than on the bridge with ship, but I feared pointing out his condition would cause offense. The human officer stared into the camera, a pleading look in his face. General, we strongly advise that you turn your ships around and stand aside. I can't do that. What you're about to do is wrong. The intelligent life is sacred, and killing off an entire species is a crime against sentience. I said, the devourers have hardly shown that they are sapient. I'm surprised you of all people are rushed to the defense, Rykov mused. It hasn't even been a full day since they wiped out thousands of your ships. You and I both know if we hadn't shown up, they would have killed all of you without a second thought. I flinched, don't remind me. For all that they've done, I don't want to see the entire species slaughtered. None makes us just as bad as them. Their actions don't make yours right. Commander Rykov sighed. <sighs> well, it seems that we're at an impasse. I assume you're going to attack us if we don't stand down. We just want to talk. You don't have to do this. Your species has a moral code. 
Right. I took a deep breath, trying to collect my thoughts. What if there are innocent people, children and civilian on their own world? Look, I don't like what we're about to do. But I have my orders. We don't even know if they're civilians or if they can show emotion. Exactly, we do not know. What's the harm in waiting and getting more information? Don't you want to know why they're doing this? I'd like to understand. Rykov tilted his head as though thinking. I suppose it wouldn't hurt to gather some intelligence. How? Might come in handy down the road. What would you suggest? Do you think that you can capture one of their ships? We need to bring one of them in alive. Yeah, I think we can do that, General. What would you say to joining us in person on our flagship? We'd rather stand together than as enemies. I weighed my options. This could easily be some sort of human trickery, luring the highest-ranking Federation officer to their headquarters just to be present. Taking me out of the picture would disrupt our fleet's command. It was only natural to find their offer a bit suspect. But I figured if Rykov's intentions towards us were malicious, we wouldn't be having this dialogue in the first place. The Terrans had the ability to knock out our entire fleet in one foul swoop. Yet, they had not fired on us. At any rate, I still owed Commander a great debt for saving my life. The least I could give him was a bit of trust. I would be happy to join you, Commander, I answered. The hint of a smile crept onto Rykov's face. Excellent! We'll wait your shuttle. Come alone and unarmed. Please order your ships to halt their advance and allow us passage. The transmission ended and First Officer Blaise immediately piped in, Sir, you can't seriously be thinking of going over there. I scowled at him, not appreciating my decisions being called into question. I have to. It's our only chance at talking the humans down, and it'll be the first time anyone has spoken with the enemy firsthand. Of course, any insight I could glean into the devourer's nature would be priceless for the Federation, but I would be lying if I said my curiosity was a personal. I delighted in the possibility of demanding their reasons myself. Mass murder was not the solution, but our foes needed to be held accountable for the losses that they had inflicted. Two Terran soldiers were waiting in the airlock as my shuttle docked. The pat-down they gave me felt a bit uh, invasive, but I suppose they just wanted to be once they were satisfied that there were no weapons on my person, they led the way to the bridge. Compared to the Federation vessel, the Terran flagship was downright ugly on the inside. The passageways were cramped and the colors were drab mix of grey and off-white. It was evident that the humans gave little consideration to design elements, rather focusing on packing the warship with as many weapons and stations as possible. I couldn't help but feel a bit claustrophobic, as we navigated through a series of winding corridors and tight staircases. The hallway finally opened up into a wider chamber, which was lined with rows of computer monitors and holographic displays at the center. My first thought was that I had never seen such a disorderly command center in my life. Dozens of the personnel were bustling about the place, tablets in hand, shouting at each other. How could they even function amidst the noise and chaos? Commander Rykov was at the heart of this madness, studying a projection of the Devourer fleet. Two officers stood by his side, 
From what I overheard, it seemed that they were providing rough estimates of the enemy capabilities and reviewing a plan. I grimaced and rubbed my forehead as I walked over to them. A headache was already setting in the commotion. Welcome aboard, General. Rykov didn't look away from the hollow map for a second, so I wasn't quite sure how he spotted me approach. We'll be leaving in a few minutes. I trust you won't give us any trouble. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, everyone to your stations. Rykov's voice raised to a booming shout, carrying over the background clatter. Set calls for System 1964-A. Weapon systems on high alert. Boarding party, stand by. In an instant, all conversation ceased, and the crewmates scrambled to their posts. A silent, attentive team replaced the mayhem in a flash. I marveled at how drastic of a shift it was, watching as they executed their assignments with trained efficiency. The duality of humanity was as evident in their day-to-day operations as it was in their martial policy. A familiar, sinking feeling clasped my stomach as we slipped into hyperspace. There was a strange, rattling noise echoing from the walls, suggesting that the ship was pushing the upper limits of warp speed. The human craft leapt back to real space in a matter of minutes on the fringes of Devara territory. Now sensors are detecting a formation of 16 ships on patrol trajectory within weapons range, sir. A young officer called out. Commander Rykov nodded. Very good. I want all of the ships but one destroyed before they know what hit him. We disabled the last and board her. We need systems online so EMPs are off the table. Stick them with conventional weapons. Let's go. I watched out the viewport as hundreds of missiles sailed toward the fleet. An indicator flashed on the display, tracking the target locks. It seemed that the computer was remotely piloting the weapons. The patrol ships pivoted around to face us, firing kinetic rounds in an attempt to destroy the projectiles. Their bullets connected with a few missiles, but with only seconds to react, there was no way to take out all of them. The human explosives punched through the metallic Debara hulls like they were paper. The force of the multiple simultaneous detonations ripped them down to their skeletons, tossing deformed metal in all directions. The only ship that remained was a straggler at the rear of the formation. A single projectile clipped their last cruiser, tearing a gash in its side. There was no way the vessel could jump away while venting atmosphere. A human transport approached the crippled ship. It was unclear what the boarding party would face inside. But after the unfettered might that I had witnessed again, I had confidence that any devourer resistance would be put down with little trouble. Rykov tapped his foot impatiently as his men swept the craft. Team leader, status report please. Sir, we have found two unconscious enemy combatants aboard. Life support appears to have been shut off. The gruff male voice crackled over the speaker. We didn't hit their computers all their power. They did this themselves. What? Then attempting suicide rather than being captured? The commander trailed off. Get them back to the ship at once. Try to resuscitate them. Yes, sir. We're on it. I frowned. Confusion. Why would the devourers switch off their life support? Perhaps it was about honor but it made no sense to opt for slow suffocation over a simple bullet to the brain. I'd hoped that the human medics were as proficient as their soldiers. There were so many questions to ask, 
but dead men wouldn't give us any answers. End of chapter. Kylon point of view. The Devourers did not look so fearsome in person. They were short, stocky bipeds who seemed like nothing out of the ordinary compared to most Federation races. Their height would only put them at about an average human's shoulders, and their skin was a pale lavender hue. I had no doubt that the lean, muscle Terran soldiers could toss them around if they wanted to. Had the boarding party taken the enemy ship just a few minutes later, we would have been left empty-handed. As it were, the humans had only been able to revive one of the two occupants. Our prisoner was then transported back to the flagship and moved to the medical wing, where he was restored to stable condition. He was kept restrained and would be guarded round the clock by watchful sentries. I tagged along with Commander Rykov as he headed towards Medbay. It would be interesting to witness human interrogation tactics. After seeing the cruel pleasure in the eyes during battle, I wondered if they would torture the prisoner for information. It certainly was within the realm of possibility. An assistant handed a commander a cup filled with a steaming brown liquid as we walked. When I inquired as to what it was, he explained that it was called coffee and was a mild stimulant. I simply nodded, not wanting to offend my host. Internally, however, I thought that it was extremely poor taste for an officer to be consuming drugs on duty. It was a bad example to set for his subordinates. The prisoner was just stirring as we arrived at our destination. He looked a bit disoriented, but oddly enough, he was not struggling against the restraints. A laptop was stationed by his bedside, with an audio capture running on screen, Will our translation software work? I whispered to Rykov. The human shrugged in response. It should. Our program has gone over all the transmissions that uh, we have in record, and hopefully is able to decipher their language from that. The enemy captive spoke a few syllables of gibberish, and then the computer piped up in galactic common a second later. The two words chilled me to the bone. It said, Help us. Commander Rykov blinked in confusion. Help you? Okay, back up. First off, what is your name and rank? There was a pause as the computer translated the question, and then another as it processed the response. My name is Bayam. I do not know what this rank is you speak of. You don't have some sort of hierarchy? I asked. The master is in charge of all. We obey or suffer the consequences. There is no escape. Rykov took the tentative step forward. Who is the master? Why did you attack us? The prisoner emitted a strange vibration, which the computer identified as laughter. The more accurate question is, what is the master? I see now that you know nothing. I just assumed you people with your technology would be aware of our history. We were once a great species. When I was young, I remember being in awe of the technology we invented. I can say... That with confidence that we were the greatest builders in our galaxy. The irony is that it was our craftiness that destroyed us. We created an artificial intelligence with a single directive. It was to create a world without scarcity. It was given authority to govern our resources and power our cities. We thought that we could create a utopia, ending all want, labor, and suffering. 
It was too good to be true. The machine pondered the problem. We assumed that it would create some sort of grand new form of energy, or that it would optimize asteroid mining, but it found a different solution. The only way to avoid scarcity was to control all of the resources in the universe. It would take them by force and use us as an army. Trying to picture the devourers as a species of inventors was difficult. For years, Federation intelligence had watched them destroy any species that dared to defend their home planet. They encircled stars with absorptive planners and plundered planets without a second thought for the life forms they rendered extinct. We were told that the enemy could not be reasoned with, and that the greed was unparalleled. But if what Bayham said was true, then they were unwilling participants the entire time. Their mindless mechanical behavior made much more sense if they were under the direction of a rogue AI. I believed the story. The question was whether Rykov did. The revelation might steer the Terran Union away from genocide route, but the commander needed to be the one to relay the message. I doubted the humans would believe any information that came from us. Commander Rykov sipped at his coffee, taking a moment to process what he had seen. Why wouldn't anyone fight back or try and destroy it? Of course our people did, but they were all dead now. The Master had overridden the emergency shutdown functions. None of our safeguards worked. They controlled everything, military and industrial. So, what was there to fight it with? Its only use for us is a resource. If we defy it, if we fail, then we are no longer useful. And you see what happens. Once it takes control of everything, I've no doubt that it will kill us all anyways. But that will take time. Compliance buys us a few more generations. As I said, there is no way out for us. It must finish this mission. It does not understand anything else. I see, Commander Rykov muttered. Answer me one more thing. Your weapons are also your inventions. No, our fleet was dreamed up by the Master. Its technology is beyond anything biologicals could conjure. Ah, oh, so he thought. What could be better at killing than a computer, after all? You're the first to defeat it, and you did so with ease. Perhaps I should fear you, but you are our only hope. The commander frowned. Thank you for speaking to us, Byam. That'll be all for now. General, please come with me back to the bridge. I waited until we were out of earshot of the prisoner and then turned to Rykov. What do you think? A troubling story, he replied. I would be less inclined to believe him if not for the suicide attempt. It doesn't add up without an outside force. I need to share our findings with my governments immediately. This changes everything. Will you advise them to call off the bombing? I asked. Commander Rykov sighed. I will... We have to at least try and help, but, but, the only way to be sure that we destroy that thing is to destroy everything on that planet. If we try to evacuate the people, it'll just kill them. If we do nothing, it could study our technology and replicate it. Then we're really screwed. I'm not sure we have a choice, General. The commander's words made sense, as much as I hated to hear them. We couldn't risk Terran weaponry falling into the murderous AI's possession. Someone needed to devise a solid plan in short order before the time to act had passed. 
There was something else that bothered me, though. It was a point that Bayam had mentioned, one that lingered in my mind. The fact that the Terrans had created better tools for warfare than a computer. A machine with the raw power of calculation on its side. It spoke volumes about their species, and how naturally killing came to humanity. I felt that I should be more wary, yet I could not help but be charmed by them. For some reason, my gut instinct was that they could be trusted. Perhaps we should fear the humans. But at this point, they were the galaxy's only hope. End of chapter. Chapter 5. Ula Point of View. Word of the Terran's decisive victory over the Devourers had finally leaked out to the press. Someone inside our ranks had given the network's highly classified footage from the battlefield, as well as a transcription of the day's Senate session. It could be said that the media reaction was a bit hysteric. The video was played on every channel for hours, with some station showing the fleet's disintegration in slow motion. Commentators discussed what the turn of events meant for the Federation, and what we should think of the humans at length. I flipped on Federation News Central Speed, listening in on the round table of political scientists. Do you really believe that the Terrans would just make such a weapon in good faith? What stops them from turning on us the second that we get in the bad side? It is completely against the spirit of the Federation Charter, one of the Tujili hundreds. The Zanuck waved a tentacle in disagreement. They haven't attacked us yet, which I think says something. We have no reason to suspect that they will. Perhaps it would be wise not to get on the bad side. So we are supposed to let them do whatever they want, the Chigili shot back. As long as it doesn't affect us, I say yes. For the record, the Zanuck Republic voted against Speaker Ula's reckless proposal. Speaking of Ula, where is she? Has anyone heard from her since she sent our soldiers to die? Nice side. The Zanuck wasn't wrong about my absence from the airwaves. Eventually, I would have to make a statement on the incident and talk to the press. But for now, my priority was to gauge public perception and to monitor the status of the fleet that we'd sent to Earth. That mission required my full attention, especially given the ramifications of direct confrontation with the humans. The general had gone radio silent since entering the Sol system, ignoring the regular check-ins of Central Command. As much as we hated to consider it, it was possible that the fleet had defected to the Terran side. The three military species had been rather staunch opponents of this mission, after all. Our remote sensors had detected a handful of human ships warping towards Devourer territory a few hours ago. We would soon know enough if they had gone through their antimatter bombing raid. There was no sense in scrambling more fighters to pursue them when they wouldn't arrive in time to make a difference. It would help to quell my nerves if I only knew what was going on out there. At best, the general had allowed the humans to pass against these orders. Not that I could honestly blame him for avoiding a one-sided battle. The option that the Terrans had attacked the fleet was ruled out by the automated computer reports flowing in. Zero damage was reported to any ship by the status monitors, so it seemed the craft were still operational. Yet, inexplicably, 
They had come to a standstill just out of missile range of Earth. I couldn't imagine what the general was doing if he wasn't defecting. A distraction from the situation would certainly be welcome. If only I could find a channel that wasn't talking about Terrence. I switched over to Galactic Broadcast, who were interviewing a retired human general by video link. Be justified. I only caught the end of the interviewer's question. The human shrugged. You have to be prepared for anything. That nanite bomb was only built and used as a last resort. Most of our weapons are like that. Stuff we have lying around. Just in case. The interviewer glanced down to her notes. The Federation sees humanity as dangerous, out of control. Given the Terran Union's plan to wipe out an entire race, why should we believe that your weapons are a last resort, as you say? The Federation seems to forget that the stakes of this war are the entire galaxy, our entire way of life. The last thing I needed right now was to hear humans string together some justification for mass murder. I clicked over to the daily rundown, resigning myself to watching another segment on Terran morality. A breaking news banner was ticking across the bottom of the screen. Terran Union releases official statement was the headline. Well, this was actually interesting. Perhaps they would provide some answers about the fate of our fleet. Or it could be a simple announcement that they had dropped the antimatter bombs on the Devourer homeworld. After a day of silence, disregarding questions even from their closest allies, the Terran Union is finally speaking out about the events that transpired in the Battle of Serana system. Their statement reads as follows. Humanity takes its duty to protect its friends in the Federation very seriously, and we would go to any length to keep our galaxy safe. We regret that many of you misunderstand our intentions, and hoping that in time you'll just see us as friends again. After the battle, our forces were able to capture a devour prisoner alive and interrogate him. The situation is much more severe than we thought. It seems that we are dealing with a hostile artificial intelligence. We ask that our allies in the Federation work with us to determine our next course of action. I blinked in confusion, with the humans implying that the Devourers were an artificial intelligence rather than a sapient species. We had not even considered that, given that the ships appeared to originate from one planet, assumed to be the homeworld. If the Terran Union was telling the truth, I was a lot less opposed to the original plan of blowing the enemy to smithereens. My hollow pad indicated an incoming transmission on our military frequency. Relief washed over me as I realized it was contact from the fleet, and I answered, Command, this is General Kylon of the Jadari Confederacy. General, where have you been? You've missed the multiple check-ins and left us completely in the dark about your status, I snarled. Oh, hello, Madam Speaker. The general seemed hesitant to answer. I was on the board of the Terran flagship. They captured one of the devourers alive, and I accepted their offer to sit in on the interrogation. My eyes widened in disbelief. You did what? What were you thinking? What if the humans had taken you hostage? You left your post, abandoned the consort to a dangerous enemy. With all due respect, Madam Speaker, the humans are not our enemy. Not unless you make them one, he replied. I think you need to set aside your personal bias on this matter. It's clouding your judgment. General, you do well to do less thinking and more following of orders. Command is not asking for your opinion. I could hear the anger seeping into my tone. I learned about this whole prisoner business from the news before I heard it from you. What is this about artificial intelligence? The general took a deep breath 
as if to calm himself. The devourers are actually an advanced species that was enslaved by an AI they built. If they don't go along with helping it take over the universe, they're killed. The humans want to try and free them. How do they propose to accomplish that? They're still working on a plan, but they want our help. They asked us to send some of our Vortex Stull ships, whatever that. Those are highly classified. How do the Terrans know about them? Obviously, they're spying on us. Do you still think that they are our friends? Madam Speaker, I do. They saved my life and the lives of many of my men, and I won't soon forget that. I don't see how it hurts to help them. It should be clear to someone of your intelligence what valuable allies they are. The thinly veiled attempt at flattery would not work this time. Of course, I believe that it was better to have the Terran Union on our side at first. This was the same species that I had worked hand in hand with to finalize treaties and maintain peace. It had been difficult to reconcile that with the depiction of the cold-hearted killers given by our messenger. But ever since I heard Ambassador Johnson's emotional rationale for genocide, it seems better to keep them at a distance as possible. Humanity's true colors were just too ugly and disgusting. A sad smile crossed my face. I never want to work with humans again. They are savages. Savages that masquerade as saints. It is not about the humans. This is what you wanted, right? To save the devourers? Uh, yes. But we don't need any help from... And frankly, Madam Speaker, if you keep up this crusade against the Terran Union, you're going to lose the fleet. The General's voice had lowered to just above a whisper. The Zanek barely went along with these orders. And if you don't give the humans what they want, we're looking at an outright mutiny. If the Zanek rebel, the Jindari and the Hulalal will probably follow close behind. I recalled the words of the Zanek on the news. His disdain for me and the Senate had been evident, and he had almost been acting as an apologist for humanity. Aggravating, the Terran Union would have severe economic consequences for the Zanuck Republic, so it was no wonder that their loyalties were wavering. As much as I hated to concede anything to the Terrans, the General was right. We couldn't afford to lose our military species at a time like this. I suppose I could put aside my contempt for the humans, for this one mission, if it was necessary to keep the Federation intact. We would deal with the devourers now, and handle the humans at a later date. This momentary cooperation would not prevent me from pushing the Terran Union out of the Federation, down the road. It was imperative that I did all in my power to sever all connections with them, one by one. While others succumbed to the fear of humans, I would stand strong and preserve our integrity as an organization of peace. Very well, General. Tell the Terrans it will send our ships, but if they turn on you, don't expect any help from us. End of chapter. Chapter 6. Bayam POV. Sometimes I wondered why it needed us. Machines fared much better at manual labor anyways. My best guess was there was a limit to how many tasks it could concentrate on at once. Yet again, I found myself hating the master, loathing my experience. A fog of exhaustion passed down on me, as always. It had been days since I last. 
A part of me wanted to curl up onto the ground and let it all fade to black. To have peace at last. My breath came in ragged gasps, and sweat beaded on my forehead. The insulation of the vac suit kept the frigid cold and the ice banded out, but it kept my own heat expenditures in as well. I glanced over at my son Cal, who was helping me push the tab of iron ore towards the mining tunnel's lift. I could fight through the pain and the weariness for him. Poor boy, born into an unforgiving world to know nothing but servitude. He needed his father around, if only to feel the touch of love and warmth. The sense of deja vu gripped my mind a moment before it happened. Without warning, the ground shook beneath my feet. The stalactite started to rain from above. It must have been some sort of tectonic activity. Most planets did not experience the phenomenon, but we knew for the ones that did, it could wreak havoc on artificial structures. We had to leave the mine now, before we were buried alive. A scream echoed from further down the tunnel, pleading for help. I recognized the voice of Cal's girlfriend, words laced with pain. My son turned in the direction of a call, and I could picture the worry creasing his face through my opaque helmet. Dad, I'll be right back. You you go on. Cal dashed off before I could make an attempt to stop him. Terror coursed through my veins. Cal, Cal! I distinctly felt the hand grip my shoulder and the mind dissolving into darkness. My eyes blinked open back into the strange ship. The pale creature who called himself Rykov was standing over me. His expression seemed concerned. I rubbed the sore spot behind my ear where they'd injected me with a language implant. The ridges of the thin scar pressed against my fingers. It served as a confirmation that the events of the past day were real, and not some vivid dream. Are you okay? Riker asked. You were talking in your sleep, and you sounded upset. My side, images of my son still flitting through my mind. I'm fine. It was just a bad dream. He nodded, pausing for a moment. Who is Cal? Cal. Close my eyes, trying not to cry. He's my son. He's dead. I'm sorry. I know what that's like, he grimaced, as though in pain. This is the worst thing a parent can ever go through. You lost a child, yes. My youngest daughter, Alina. She was only three when the cancer took her. It was an awful disease that turns our own body against us. She fought so hard through so much pain. We did everything we could, but none of the treatments did a damn thing. I know she would have had so much to offer the world. If only she had a chance. I'm sorry, Rykov. So young. A tear trickled down my cheek. Cal was my only son. There was an earthquake and our minds were collapsing. He ran back to save his girlfriend. Maybe if I had gone with him, it would have played out differently. But I fled like a coward. He never made it out. What kind of father am I? His frown deepened. You can't blame yourself by him. I've fallen into that trap myself. It's not your fault. Sometimes there's just nothing you can do. I heard a jingling sound and felt his hands locked firmly around my left wrist. I watched as he inserted a pin into the manacle, and with a click, the band came unclasped. The skin where the restraint had been was chafed. A dark, violet hue lingering in its place. 
Rykov freed my right arm as well, then took a few wary steps back. His eyes didn't leave me for a moment. I also noticed his hand was hovering above his hip, where he appeared to have a gun tucked away. Did he think that I was going to lunge at him, like some kind of wild animal? Our interactions must not have eased all of his suspicions. I stretched with the slow, deliberate motions, then rose to my feet. It was unclear why I had been unbound, but there had to be something that they wanted from me. Rykov stared for a few moments longer, then relaxed his posture slightly. Follow me. It was a short walk to our destination, a hangar bay lined with sleek cruisers. A few workers were inspecting the condition of the craft and performing repairs, but most of the personnel milled about without assignment. The sounds of chatter and laughter burst in the air. The jury atmosphere was alien to me. My people hadn't possessed such a spirit in decades. The crew or members hushed up as they noticed our entry, and all eyes turned towards me. A flurry of whispers rippled through the room. I ducked my head, anxiety bubbling in my chest. It was likely that the sum of them harbored negative feelings towards my species, so I doubted how much my presence was welcome here. All right, I want all of you to listen in, Rykov shouted. I'm about to make a call to General Kylon, and we'll be going over the details of the mission. He removed the holopad from his pocket and thumbed through the few screens. I watched over his shoulder as a three-eyed being from the first interrogation appeared. Hello, Commander, the General said. The stealth ship should arrive, as you requested. Rykov gestured behind him. Yes, sir. Uh, we have them right here. Thank you. I'm not sure how you convinced the speaker. Years of practice. His words were punctuated with a smug satisfaction. She isn't wrong that you're spying on us, though. Dare to explain that one? The commander shifted awkwardly. We, uh, sort of spy on everyone. The Federation's never been uh, particularly forthcoming with us. Anyhow, did you get the plan I sent over? Yes, and I only have one question. Kylon sighed, an exasperated look in his face. Are all of your ideas as insane? What? I, I don't see the issue. Are you saying that you have something better in mind? Well, um, no. It's drawn up based on intelligence Byam gave us. We have a rough layout of the planet now. There's 12 main settlements, and the rest of the populace is deployed off-world. We're going to evacuate the largest one today. My fighters will engage the AI forces in orbit, keep it distracted, while the stealth ships sneak down and rescue the people. That makes sense, yes? It does, but that wasn't the entire plan, Commander. You left a few things out, like letting Byam fly a stealth ship, the impossible time constraints... Oh yeah, and the part about the antimatter bombs. My eyes widened as I realized what General Kylon had said. This strategy involved me as the pilot. After years of conscription, the last thing I wanted was to dive right back into the war. Rykov shrugged. There are mechanical sentries posted all over the cities, surveilling the people. Humans walking around would be noticed, but by him won't stand out. If we just immediately knock out the sentries and try to evacuate the civilians, they might see us as a threat and fight. We need Byam to convince them to come with us. And you really think that you can complete all of this in 40 minutes? The AI will kill the people if it suspects that it's losing. As you and I saw, it doesn't allow the possibility of capture. So destroying all of the forces and stockpiles is off the table. It's more about buying time. 
We'll give by him twenty minutes on the ground. Then we'll take out the sentries. We have about another twenty minutes before the security drones arrive. And, uh, it has to be done by then. Okay, well, now how about... The antimatter bombs, sir. The AI can't realize the people escaped. If we turn the entire city to ash, hopefully. It thinks they're all dead. There is so much that could go wrong with this. Everything has to be perfect. The general hesitated. You'll have my support, Commander, but don't make me regret it. I'll speak with you after the mission. I cast a blank stare at the floor as the call was terminated. My name was mentioned in the plans far too much while liking. I wanted no part in the risk, in the danger of it all. Could I really convince an entire settlement to leave with alien soldiers? Within their time frame, anyways. Rykov glanced at me, smiling confidently. Well, you heard all about that by him. What do you say? Are you ready to save the day? A thousand reasons not to agree raced through my mind. There might be consequences for turning him down. But I knew I was no hero. They could toss me into a cell and throw away the key for all I cared. It was preferable to going home. All I had to do was utter an adamant refusal. But instead, the words that slipped out of my mouth were, Count me in. End of chapter. Chapter 7. By him, point of view. I was grateful that my human partner was piloting the stealth ship. With a wide assortment of buttons and levers inside, it was unlikely that my flying experience would have translated at all. I could just sit back, admire the view, and try to calm my nerves. Our descent through the atmosphere had been slow and methodic, as the humans wished to scope out the landscape rather than charge in blind. I wasn't sure how they could make out anything from this altitude. To me, the structures below were little more than fuzzy outlines. They must have seen enough, because a few minutes later, a series of coordinates were called out through our pieces. When plugged into the navigation system, they marked a landing spot just outside the city. We dipped towards the ground at a much sharper angle than before. The rest of our formation tailed close behind. This was it. The moment of truth. Nausea crept into my throat as I fretted over the possibility of detection. Without the cover of the clouds to hide us, I felt vulnerable and exposed. Newman, are we really invisible? I whispered. He huffed in annoyance. My name is Carl, not human, Devourer. I frowned, confused by his response. Devourer? Oh, ah, uh, that's what we call your species. I guess it's not your actual name, he replied. You know, because you destroy everything you come into contact with. The name that I had given us confirmed my suspicions on how the humans viewed us. The outright looks of hostility tossed my way in the hangar bay were a good hint, but hearing one of them put those feelings into words struck differently. It stung to realize that they saw us little more than a blight on the universe. You don't like me, Carl, I ventured. Yeah, you're right. I have no idea why we're helping you. The human turned to face me. A scowl marring his features. You guys were complicit in everything and blasted AI did. Billions of innocent people are dead because of your actions. And now you play the victim. I shrunk under the intensity of his case. Mew, don't understand. Then make me understand, he said. Everyone who stood against it died. Like, like my father. My voice quivered. 
as I thought back to that fateful day. He... he was a police officer, and uh, when the drones came to our our city, he joined the defense. They, They found his body scorched beyond recognition by plasma fire shortly after. Cole's expression softened. I'm sorry. I was only seven then. Those of us who survived were herded into camps. It pushed us to the physical breaking point. And then, if you didn't drop from exhaustion, you might die of disease, I continued. Anyone who deserted or rebelled suffered an awful death and was made a public example of. Eventually, you lose hope and you'll just do whatever it wants. If you don't, someone else will anyways. The human was quiet, which I hoped was a sign that my words had gotten through to him. If this mission was to be a success, I needed my partner's wholehearted cooperation. We couldn't afford to have hostilities brewing between us. Anyhow, he didn't answer my question. Are you sure that we're invisible? I asked. Carl offered a reassuring smile. We should be. There's nothing to worry about. Relax. I pointed to a flashing indicator on the weapon screen. Well then, um, what's that? His eyes locked onto the red arrows, which were rapidly approaching our position. The color drained from his face, a sight which made me shudder. Most humans were pale enough in their normal state, but Cole had gone so ashen that he looked like a corpse. I feared that he might kill over in front of me. The human switched on his headset. Missiles inbound, brace for impact. We'd been spotted. A few months later, the vessel was rocked by a violent collision. My body lurched forward only to be thrown back into the chair by the safety harness. The air was forced from my lungs, and my brain seemed to rattle my skull. A dizzy feeling fogged my mind, which was only compounded by the ship going into a wild tailspin. I saw Cole tugging at the control column, but it did nothing to stabilize our flight. The urge to vomit only grew stronger as our acceleration quickened. It was a matter of seconds before we would crash into the field below. So, this was how it would all end. I would have liked to say I calmly accepted my death, but the truth was, I was terrified. My last thought before impact was cursing myself for agreeing with the insane plan, wondering why I'd gone against my better judgment. There was a jolt as the craft slammed into the ground, followed by a screeching sound as it broke into multiple pieces. Loose objects and debris tumbled past us, and thinking quickly, I ducked down to shield my head. We skidded across the dirt that felt like an eternity, before we finally coming to a halt. Other than a few minor cuts and bruises, I was unharmed. You couldn't say the same for the ship, though. Glancing around at the swath of devastation, I figured a passerby could have mistaken the wreckage for the work of a cyclone. It was a miracle that the cockpit had, for the most part, stayed intact. I was rather shocked to still be alive, but now didn't seem like the time to celebrate. The acrid smell of smoke wafted into my nose, which suggested a prompt evacuation was in order. My harness was easy enough to unfasten, despite my shaking hands. Now, all that was left was to walk out into the open air. Before exiting the trough, I thought to check on Cole, just to be certain that he was all right. As my eyes fell on the human, my relief turned to dismay. He was slumped in his chair, 
unresponsive. Crimson liquid oozed from the gash in the back of his head, staining the frosty blonde hair. I assumed it was blood, despite the unusual coloration. I raced to his side, shaking him by the shoulders. No, 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 wake up! The human's eyes sputtered open, and he groaned. If my species had sustained that sort of head injury, we would likely be dead. Regaining consciousness would have been out of the question. But clearly, humans were more resilient. The question was how much his injuries would impair him, and whether he was able to walk in his own power. Cole watched as I unclipped his harness. Can you help me out of here? I'm not asking you to carry me like a princess, but, uh, yeah, of course, I wouldn't leave you here, I answered. I draped his arm across my neck, bracing myself to support his weight. We managed to stagger out of the wreckage, but Cole sunk to his knees a few steps into the field. It was evident that he was in no condition to be traipsing about. Hopefully, the rest of our entourage were still airworthy, who would provide some comfort to know that they were out there, preparing a rescue party. The human pressed a hand to his wound, grimacing. How about we take a little rest here? I, I need a moment. All right. Clearly, uh, the mass, uh, the AI knew that we were here now. I don't think that we were invisible. What exactly do we do now? I asked. We improvise, grunted. Our biggest mistake was trusting the Federation tech, but it was a terrible plan to begin with. Something was gonna go wrong. Alarm coursed through my veins as Cole pulled a gun from its holster, and I fell backwards in my haste to get away. It had not been my intention to provoke him, but I figured that my criticism of their command was not appreciated. Rather than pointing it at my head, however, he extended an arm to offer the weapon to me. Please tell me you know how to shoot one of these by him, he said. I pushed the firearm back towards him. Well, uh, not exactly the only train us on aerial combat... He heaved an exasperated sigh. Okay, then we're screwed. There's three drones coming in to your left, and I take that they're not friendly. Sure enough, a trio of security drones were gliding in from the direction of the city. The instinct to flee was overwhelming, but I managed to stand my ground. Paul did not deserve to die. I'd abandoned my son to save my skin, but I wasn't going to make the same mistake twice. Grappling with the guilt all over again would be too much to bear. My only hope was that the injured human could prevail against the squad of mechanical enforcers. Their kind had no problems defeating the AI in previous encounters, but these circumstances were much different. Perhaps it was asking too much of Cole, but even in his weakened state, I wasn't ready to write him off just yet. End of chapter the algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. With energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I just want to give a quick thank you to the T5 members and patrons. Alithia, Barky, Fudic Yol, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Angry Marine, Lord Azrakel, White Van 420, and Arcalian.